Welcome back, MTN Nets podcast. Uh, mostly going to react to the game today on Sunday versus the Clippers. Uh, one of the worst fourth quarter meltdowns you'll ever see from any NBA team. I mean, probably it's got to be one of the worst fourth quarters I've ever seen from the Nets in my fandom lifetime. Like, I can't imagine it being much worse. Um, I'm sure you guys know they were outscored 41 to 15 in the fourth quarter which you just don't see that every day. So I guess you kind of got to give them like some, uh, you know, some props for doing something that is that difficult to do. But overall on this road trip, so the last time I talked to you guys, it was after the Heat game. I think it went to overtime. It was that low-scoring game, 96-95 loss, a game they also probably should have won. But on this West Coast trip, it was a three-game uh, West Coast trip, with the Trailblazers, the Lakers, and the Clippers. And in the Trailblazers game, they were up by four with like a minute and 30 seconds left. They lose that game on the uh, Anthony Simons floater. Mikel Bridges got broke down on defense, and Dinwiddie, I think, was too late getting over on the double team, and they lost on a heartbreaker. And then on Friday, they beat the crap out of the Lakers, which was not really expected, but that was a game where Cam Thomas went crazy, had like 33 points on 70-something percent shooting. Lonnie Walker was great. But in this game versus the Clippers, for like three quarters, the Nets looked so good and so dominant in this game. And you're sitting there thinking like, hey, like this team may have turned a corner. They're scoring a lot of points. They're getting like good offensive sets. They're letting Cam Thomas be free and run the offense. And the Nets found themselves up by 18 points. It was... uh. 104 to 86 with 10 minutes and 54 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. So all they had to do was hold on to this 18 point lead with, you know, basically 11 minutes left and they couldn't do it. And for most of that game, Kawhi Leonard was just doing nothing for 45 minutes and he showed up in the final three minutes and he was awesome. Kawhi kind of salvaged his day. He had 21 points, but I feel like Kawhi entering the final few minutes probably had like less than 10 points. Um, Paul George looked like pandemic P out there. Five of 17 in this game, 12 points. He was missing everything. Um, Harden was pretty good. 24 points, had 10 assists, like his usual game. But um, yeah, this game was very weird. It was a game of runs. If you remember, the Nets got out to a 16 to nothing lead in this game. It was really like crazy. And then somehow the Clippers came all the way back from 16 nothing to take the lead and our jackass head coach did not even use a timeout. I don't know why the man is so allergic to taking timeouts, why he refuses to take timeouts, but you even had like Frank Isola during like the um, the post game having comments about that. Like, wait, why does this team not use timeouts when they definitely should? So there was a 22 to nothing Clippers run, and I don't think he called a timeout. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. Um, but yeah, a 22 nothing run in the fourth quarter is insane. I don't even know how it gets that bad. And I got to give credit to the Clippers. Like, they really stepped up defensively the final, like, six, seven minutes. But um, at the same time, as a head coach, like, you have to call a timeout and just regroup and just find different ways to attack this defense. Like, that's what you're there for is to coach the game. What are they doing on defense? How can we attack them? What personnel should we have out there? Um, I'll give Jock Vaughn credit for one thing. He did that weird thing where he always like plays offense, defense. And at one point, he did put in DFS for Cam Thomas, which pissed me off at the time. But 
the next possession, I remember DFS like clamped up Kawhi. He dribbled out of bounds. So like that was one instance where like, okay, your offense defense thing kind of worked. But it still annoys me how Jock Vaughn does nothing like for this team in terms of calling timeouts when they need it and giving them like a schematical advantage. Like the Nets are um, of course, ads are playing. Sorry. But um, the Nets are just not a team that seems to have any advantage through their coaching, which is, uh, you know, like this team on paper. I said this last podcast, this team on paper is not this bad. They should not be 17 and 25 in the Eastern Conference. Like if they're in the West and it's tougher out there, like I would say, OK, maybe. But 17 and 25 in the East is a pretty rough look. I mean, this team does have enough pieces to uh at least be within a couple games of 500. Like, this is a pretty unacceptable record. And as I said, like, they've blown a lot of games this year. Most times in late game situations when it's close, they don't win those games because they don't have a closer, and most teams do. Like, even going back to the first game of the season and the second game of the season, I always remember those games. Like, Donovan Mitchell, who's a closer, stepped up in that game in the first game of the year and closed out the Nets. And I think he did it in uh, London or, or Paris, wherever the hell that game was, um, uh, last week. And second game of the year, Luka Doncic, who obviously is a closer, he closed out the Nets in the second game of the year. And even a guy like Anthony Simons, like, yeah, you don't look at him as, like, one of the best, like, closers in the game. But a guy who can just break you down off the dribble and get a good look. Like, yeah, the Nets have that in Cam Thomas, but I'll admit, Cam Thomas, like, he did shoot, I think, four of nine in the fourth quarter, so it was not that bad on paper. But you can tell Cam Thomas did struggle a bit to get by his man in the late fourth quarter. Um, There's even a possession where Harden uh, was clamping up Cam Thomas at one point, which I was very surprised by. So, you know, Cam was not spectacular down the stretch but he was probably the best net today uh Mikhail Bridges played well we'll get to that later but um yeah it's just annoying like they can't afford to blow these games and yet they are uh 17 and 25 now I think they're out of the um playing tournament right now as the standings stand uh, I'll take a look real quick but I'm pretty sure like the Nets are either in 10th or 11th here they're in 11th right now so they're a game back of the Hawks I mean it's bad and I guess the one silver lining to today's loss, if there is any, was that Joe Sy was sitting courtside. So if you're Joe Sy and you're sitting there watching this game um, and you see your team give up a 22 to nothing run in the fourth quarter in a game where you were up by 18 and then you lose, I would think that should be something to spark some like, like, hey, we need some changes because shit ain't working here. Like you would think it would definitely spark that with Joe Sy. But at the same time, I don't necessarily trust him as an owner. I don't trust him to make the right calls and make the right decisions and uh, and so on. So I don't know. I just do, I cannot stand Joe Sy. Like there's a rant inside of me for Joe Sy that may come out one day. I'm still like trying to, you know, keep my composure here, but I, I'm still just not happy with what he's done with this organization for the past two, three years. There were plenty of mistakes in this game from a coaching standpoint with Vaughn, and that just seems to be like a recurring theme. I mean, how do you go from 16 nothing to the Clippers coming back and taking the lead down 16 nothing and not calling a timeout? Like when it got to 16 to 6, and I think Terrence Mann made back-to-back threes, there were some defensive breakdowns. 
I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, Jock, let's just call a timeout and regroup. Like, you know, we got off to a great start, 10-point lead, early, you know, middle of the first quarter. Let's just take a timeout. But this jackass just doesn't even call a timeout. He lets them come all the way back from 16 nothing. Like, why? That was very preventable. Like, yes, I know the Clippers are the better roster by a lot, and, and they were probably going to come back at some point. But you're not giving your players any type of favor or advantage by just letting that happen. I saw that, yeah, I think Brian Lewis tweeted that the uh, the Clippers had four days off before this game, so it kind of makes sense that they were rusty out the gate. But Because um, I remember there was a shot where Paul George came off like a screen and he was wide open for three, and he had just missed a shot, and he missed that shot as well. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this might really be our day. Like, something's up with the Clippers. Like, they look awful right now, but, you know, it should have been our day, but another game that got away. Um, so, yeah, if they went undefeated on this road trip, like, we could have been 19-23, and 23, I think, which kind of, you know, it's not back to 500, but you would have been creeping back closer. But now... After what's actually happened, they've lost two out of three on the road. So it's just, uh, it's real shitty. All right, let's go through the players now. So Dorian Finney-Smith had no points. He was 0 of 5, 0 of 3 from 3. Um, did have nine rebounds, but yeah, just not a good game from him. Obviously, like you got to make your shots and at least give us one three. Um, you know, DFS got off to a great start this year. He was really hot in the beginning of the year. And it feels like the last, I don't know, two, three weeks or so, maybe longer, he has not been like that great offensively, but I'm hoping that it gets better. He's a guy who obviously can be traded. I do believe he's under contract for next year, and the year after that is a player option. So it might be like one or two years left on his deal, depending on what he decides to do. But um, Dorian Finney-Smith is now 30, I believe. So he's a guy who... You know, he makes like 14 mil a year or something like that. And he seems like a guy who could be a nice piece to flip. And, you know, they might get a first round pick out of it. Maybe a young player. Um, I'd be fine with it. Like, I feel like by the time the Nets are actually good, I feel like Finney Smith might be on like his decline. So if I'm the Nets, I'm probably looking to flip him now while he's at his peak value, possibly. But um, we'll see how they go about it. Cam Johnson. Plenty of discussion for Cam Johnson, who played 29 minutes, went 3 of 11 total, 2 of 7 from 3, did give us 6 assists and 4 rebounds, he was a minus 8, but Cam Johnson has to shoot the ball better. It is very frustrating, I feel like he is, you know, I called him like post-ankle surgery Joe Harris last podcast, he kind of feels like Torian Prince at this point on the Nets, where, you know, Torian was like an average player but for how much money cam johnson makes which i think is over a hundred million dollars total in um i think it was a four-year deal the um he's not matching the contract you know for a guy making that much money you would expect 17 to 20 points a game and playing really good defense and unfortunately so far we have not really gotten any of that from cam johnson on the year he's averaging 14 points a game and after this performance, it'll probably be 13 point something. So he's been underwhelming. And he's a guy who was mainly brought back here because that was one of the main assets you got from the Kevin Durant trade. And they did not want to let him walk, which I completely understand. But this is his age 27 season. This should be the prime. And he played great in the playoffs last year. Mind you, it was four games that got swept 
But um, Cam Johnson was the most consistent net in the playoffs last year versus Philly. But so far in the regular season, like, yeah, he's had his moments. He might have had, like, one 30-point game at some point. But he has just not been worth the money so far, and it's been disappointing. So, um I don't know. There's not much they can do. Like I, I think, I think we're past the deadline where they can trade Cam Johnson because um, obviously, like if you sign a guy, you can't trade him right away. But I think we're past that deadline. So if the Nets want to trade Cam Johnson, they probably can. But then again, his value is probably not that high now because he's had injuries. He's been inconsistent this year. Um, a lot of times, the lights are too bright when he's in the clutch. Uh, he just cannot make a clutch shot to save his life. It seems like. So, um, yeah, the value is not that high right now, but it kind of is what it is. Like, I, I keep hoping he'll turn things around. Like, he's a he he's an above-average player, I feel like. Like, maybe average to above-average, but his output should be better than what it is right now. Like, it's it definitely should be better. So, I'm, I'm hoping that he turns things around. The guy historically has been a good shooter, but he's been a bit off this year, and hopefully that turns around. But it's been concerning. I know a lot of fans are like pissed off and kind of out on Cam Johnson, and I get it. But um, realistically speaking, he will most likely be here until, you know, past the trade deadline, obviously. And maybe in the summer, if they're, if they're going after a big star, he might be like that big salary filler to send to a different team. I don't know. But for right now, Cam Johnson's probably finishing out the year here. So just play better. Mikael Bridges played 38 minutes. He kind of got re-injured with that thigh bruise, which, um, you know, I thought he was hurt pretty badly. He limped around and came back in. But 26 points on 9 of 17, so pretty good. 4 of 7 from 3, I'll take that. Was perfect at the line on 4 foul shots. 6 rebounds, had 5 assists. Did have 3 turnovers. And I, I think I feel like all 3 of those turnovers came in like the same exact span. It was like middle of the 4th quarter. He tried dribbling past somebody, and it didn't work, and he turned the ball over like twice in a row. So the handles at times are not good, and I feel like Mikel trying to dribble through traffic is just as bad as it gets, and I hate seeing it. But at the same time, like I do feel bad for Mikel Bridges. I do. Like The Nets put him on this pedestal. They want to make him the guy, make him the star, and try to sell tickets with his name. Like I get it. And Mikael Bridges is not meant to be that guy. So the Nets are putting him in a position where he doesn't belong, and he probably knows it, but there's not much he can do. Like, this is the roster they have, and this is how they promote it, and it is what it is. And the other guy who should be getting most of the publicity, he's been an all-star a couple times and was almost defensive player of the year, Ben Simmons, he doesn't play much for us. So I feel bad for Mikael Bridges. He's in a very, like... He's just he's in a position where he's asked to do too much right now. And I just I feel bad for the guy. Anyway, Nick Claxton gave us 31 minutes, 7 of 10, 16 points. He did give us six rebounds and two blocks. Um, had a great block in this game at one point. It led to a transition bucket. Um, I forget who shot it now. Was it Paul George? But it was like one of those blocks where he went way up high. Like I think the it might have been Paul George tried to make a floater and Claxton just like jumped out of his shoes and I think it led to a transition layup. So yeah, Claxton like had good moments in this game. He did shoot a three in a very weird time when the Clippers were like storming back and the Clippers were probably down by like a few points and probably like three or four points. And Claxton shot a three in the corner with like 16 seconds left on the shot clock. That was a very ill-advised shot. Now, if it went in, we would have been like, hey, Nick Claxton, great shot, shooting with confidence. But 
obviously since he missed it people are like what the hell is he doing so yeah not the best shot selection there by nick claxton but i am happy to see he's taking threes like i do like seeing that but um just probably not the right situation he also had a great poster on um i think it was Plumley. So uh, it was a great pass by Cam Thomas that play too. Cam Thomas took um, took Kawhi Leonard on the baseline. The double came. He gave a great bounce pass to Claxton in the paint, and he posterized um, um, Plumley. So that was a great play by Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton. Spencer Dinwiddie gave us probably his best game in a long time. He played well versus, um, I think, Portland, and he looked okay during the Lakers game too. But this was probably the best Dinwiddie game since, like, the first 15 games of the year. Like, he looked really good. 33 minutes, 6 of 9, 4 of 6 from 3. Um, he did have 7 assists, 16 points, only one turnover. So I was impressed, you know. Dinwiddie's been called out. And, you know, people, that report came out before the uh, Trailblazers game. I guess that was Wednesday. So sometime on Wednesday, that report came out that some NBA people think that Dinwiddie has kind of checked out and given up. And I feel like ever since that report, he's been stepping up and playing much better. So I do feel I feel bad for Dinwiddie as well, because I do think Dinwiddie at one point wanted to be extended here. The Nets don't want to extend him. And it seems like, based on what I understand, is that Dinwiddie was promised he would be moved by now and traded to a different team. And it has not happened. And we're sitting here on uh, January 21st, and he's still a net. So Dinwiddie probably feels like he's wasting his time. And Dinwiddie had that quote earlier in the year about, you know, naming this team's players for the future and didn't include himself. So I, I think Dinwiddie realizes, like, I'm not a part of this team in the future. So he probably just realizes, like, why should I try here? Like, this, I'm not going to be a net for much longer. So it all makes sense. But um, to get his trade value up, I'm hoping Dinwiddie plays well every time he's out there. But it's still weird that they start him. Like, I don't get it. They start Dinwiddie. They they start Cam Johnson. They keep starting DFS. And you still can't get Cam Thomas in the starting lineup. That really annoys me. I just don't get it. It's not like – I feel like every Nets fan feels that way. There might be a couple that, you know, don't agree with that. But – I just feel like it's pretty irrational to just keep throwing out the same starting lineup. And the Nets have been like 2-12 and 12 since this lineup has been starting. So it's not working. It's, it's like the definition of insanity, which is the uh, alarming part. But anyway, Royce O'Neal was not good today shooting-wise. He was one of uh, six overall. He got to the line at one point, made both foul shots, but 0 of 5 from 3, which you can't have. He got some good looks, too, I remember. So just a, a rough one there for Royce O'Neal, but he was a plus 8. So when he was out there, they were doing well, but just not a good shooting day. Trendon Watford, 12 minutes, 1 of 3. Um, didn't do much. One assist, one steal. I do like seeing him play. He definitely adds an aspect to this team that they need, a ball handler, a big guy that can switch on defense to anybody. So I like when he plays. Um, DSJ was pretty good. Six of eight in 18 minutes, made a three-pointer, had three rebounds, gave us one assist, did have two turnovers, but uh, 13 points, not bad. He, didn't, he made that corner three once again, so... I liked what I saw. Cam Thomas, I don't think I touched on him too much, but 27 minutes, which is another thing. Like, bro, he has to play more than 27 minutes. He just turned 23. He's probably your best player outside of Mikel Bridges, and even that's a debate. 8 of 17, 1 of 5 from 3. Now, Cam did have some really good looks in the late fourth quarter on three-pointers, and he missed them both. So, like, that sucked, but for the most part, Cam was really good today. He was pretty much flawless on Friday versus the Lakers. But Cam did have four turnovers. That's the downside. 
but he gave us six assists, which is nice. I feel like he's been like he's been noticeably better the past three, four, five games of just having like better vision and knowing where to go with the ball. So the growth of Cam Thomas's game as being more than just a scorer is definitely happening. Like you can tell when you're watching Cam Thomas, like he's making reads that he wasn't making in the past. So it gets me excited. But at the same time, I feel like this organization just has no faith in him whatsoever. Like the way they use him, the way they play him, they've let him more loose the last two games and let him do what he wants. Like it's always like that dribble handoff shit, which I don't know why they always do that, but it's been more of Cam Thomas like controlling the offense instead of running through Jock Vaughn's horrible scheme. But still, I want the guy to start, and the offense should be running through Cam Thomas. He's like the only exciting player to watch on this team. I just want to see it. Like, why not? You're eight games below 500. You're going nowhere. You're a play-in team at best that'll probably get knocked out in the first round. That's probably this team's ceiling um, if they even get there. So... Like developing Cam Thomas should be way up on their list of priorities for this year. And it seems like that's not the case. It, it feels like they are so destined to make the playoffs this year so Joe Sy can sell tickets to two home playoff games. Like it's just, it's so stupid. Like give Cam Thomas the minutes he deserves, let him start like he deserves. I just don't get it. Like, if I'm his teammates at this point, I would pull, like, what they did in that Rudy movie and go into the coach's office and put my jersey on the table and say, look, I'm out of here, or you start Cam Thomas. Like, something like that. Like, it's just crazy at this point. But, I don't know. We say the same thing every time about Cam. Maybe one day it'll change, but, you know, whatever. Lonnie Walker, only 10 minutes. Um, he may have re-injured himself, it looked like, at one point. He was definitely, like, grabbing at his hamstring. Um, he kept playing, though, so I guess he was fine. But, I don't know. I feel like Lonnie has had issues the entire year with his knee, his hamstring. It's It's been bad. But Lonnie came in in the first, uh, I think it was late first quarter, and he was lighting it up. He was 3 of 4, 2 of 2 from 3, 2 steals, um, 2 rebounds, had 8 points, but only 10 minutes. Like, the guy has to play more. If you take some of, you know, Royce's minutes, he can take some of Dinwiddie's minutes, he can take some of DSJ's minutes, Watford, like whoever. Like, you got to find a way to get Lonnie Walker. Like, Lonnie Walker on this team should be 20 minutes per game. I don't see why not. He's, like, one of the few guys on this team that can actually create for himself, and the Nets need that. Like, for some reason in crunch time today, they kept in Cam Johnson when they clearly needed an, another ball handler out there. But they insisted on playing Cam Johnson, which, once again, he does not make clutch shots. So, I don't get the point. But um, there's definitely, like, there should be more opportunity for uh, Lonnie Walker. I just don't get why. He's on a one-year minimum deal. I would like to see him here for a couple more years at least. Like, extend him in the offseason if you can. But, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the whole minute restriction or whatever it is, but it's just annoying. Like, he should be playing more. I also wanted to mention, this is not related to the game, but I'm sure most of you saw this. I think it happened on, I don't know what day this was, maybe like Thursday, Friday. But um, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's, of course, mostly active on Twitter or X, um, obviously you can see people's likes. It's public, so it's public information. So Spencer Dinwiddie liked a tweet saying, uh, basically, a guy quote tweeted the whole like Dinwiddie um, is showing minimal effort and all that. Like the guy quote tweeted that and saying, we watched Spencer Dinwiddie go from being out of the league to making a name for himself. Effort and character was never a question. All heart. We may argue about his game and that's fair. But this, 
This is not Spencer. Something smells in Brooklyn. And Spencer Dinwiddie liked that. So I don't know what the hell it means. And obviously since that time, Dinwiddie has been playing with more effort. But it leads me to the question of what the hell goes on inside this organization? Like what what goes on behind closed doors with this team? Like how bad can it be here? Like I already don't like Joe Sy as it is. Um, I've really soured on Sean Marks who ever since that you know, first Harden trade has been awful. Like, I mean, I don't want to say he's been awful, but like Sean Marks has pissed me off. Like he, he made some good signings in the off season. Sure. And I don't know how much of it is, um, you know, Joe Sy induced and, and how much of it is from him, but they signed good players in the off season. Like getting Lonnie Walker was nice. And like drafting Cam Thomas was good. I, I know KD probably had some influence on that. Apparently drafting Cam Thomas, but still like Dennis Smith jr. Has been a nice surprise and, and Trenton Watford. Like, yeah, there's been good signings here and whatnot, but like what goes on in this organization that makes these players so miserable at times? Like how do you, how do you lose three hall of fame players in a span of one year? Like, how do you do that? And then how do you, at this point, piss off Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been here forever. Um, obviously, it has not been all the way through, but he's had two separate stops here. He's been here for a while. Like, how do you get to that point with Dinwiddie, who is not even a Hall of Fame player, not even an all-star? How do you get to that point with him where he is, like, at the point where people around the league think he is showing minimal effort? Like, what did they do to this man to make him play like this and, and not give effort? So, like, the whole thing is frustrating. I don't know what it is about this team and what goes on. I just hate the way this this organization is ran. And, um, you know, it sucks when it's the owner because there's nothing you can do. Like, the only thing you can do is hope that the owner sells the team. And I don't think I've seen anything that Joe Sy wants to sell the team. There was that one report that came out a couple years ago about the Nets losing money one year. But, you know, so far he has not sold the team. So, you know, it's tough to, you know... It's tough to argue that like he should be gone, Joe Sy, because the only man that can make Joe Sy go away is Joe Sy. So that's the bad part about it. But um, yeah, I, I continue to dislike this man because the the direction of this team is non-existent, and a lot of it is because of him and his personal agenda against Kyrie Irving, which I, I don't want to touch on that again. But like, you know, it's all relevant to what goes on here today. Like, I just don't get how this team decided to move off of two all-star future Hall of Fame players and Irving and Durant. And by the way, I went back and I saw this picture in my my photos on my phone from last year. So at this time last year, so from January 19th until January 30th of 2023, this was when Kevin Durant was out of the lineup with that uh, MCL injury. Kyrie was averaging 34.9 points per game, seven assists, and six rebounds in a seven-game span from, you know, January 19th to January 30th. And Kyrie did all that and kept the Nets afloat. And Joe Sy still did not want to extend him. He, he would rather get that man off his team and, and get his team back and put out this mid to below average team out there for us. I just, I hate that. Joe Sy is not about winning. I hate owners that like would rather do things because they have an agenda against certain players and it's it's politics based and all that. Like I hate that shit. Like I'm a fan. I've watched a lot of bad basketball from the Nets in my lifetime already, probably more than anybody should. And we've had so much heartbreak with this team. And like for years, I, I was just 
praying and hoping for a team that would have all-stars and fun to watch. And we finally had it. Like the whole James Harden thing, like, yeah, it only lasted a year. It wasn't like there was no longevity to it, but it had its moments. And it was awesome when it was, you know, going great. But even then, when he left and he still had Harden and, and um, he still had Kyrie and Durant, it's like, all right, we still have two incredible players. You know, Durant's been like a top five player uh, during the time he was here. And Kyrie's been like a top 20 player when he plays. And like, they still moved off those guys to give us this. And like, I know we have those Suns picks, which could be valuable in the future. And maybe that one first rounder from the Mavericks might be valuable in the future. But you're talking about moves that are not going to happen until like 2027, 2028. Like we got to wait a long ass time. And instead of like trying to just rebuild and do this thing the right way, the Nets tried the thing in sports that never works, which is like trying to win and rebuild at the same time, which like it just never works. It really doesn't. Um, There was that one year the Thunder did it when they had Chris Paul and they like won a surprising amount of games. But Still, the Thunder turned into like one of the best teams in basketball already, so that worked out for them. But overall, it's very rare for a team to go from like competing for a championship, which the Nets were at this time last year, and you know go to a team that like you know can make all those trades and still be competing for a championship. Like it's just not going to happen. And I remember there was an article that came out on January thirtieth of last year, twenty twenty three. And it went over like the NBA finals odds and they listed like all the teams and like who had the best odds to win it. And the Brooklyn Nets were number three. I think it was like the Celtics and like some Western Conference team, I forget. But yeah, the Nets were the third highest team for finals odds. And like, you know, KD was like a couple weeks from returning and Joe Sy wanted to play hardball and not give Kyrie the extension he wanted. And here we are sitting with this boring ass team that's 17 and 25. Like, I, I just cannot forgive Joe Sy for that. Like, obviously, if you watch me in the past, I'm a big Kyrie fan. Like, he was my favorite net. And, you know, I'm, I was never like the biggest KD fan, but like, obviously, when he was a net, I loved him. But I don't know how you let those guys go and, and give us this and think like this is fun. And I remember Joe Sy had that tweet right after the trades happened. He was like, um, I think the Nets lost a close game. Might have been like the first game they played when Mikel Bridges, um, you know, played against the Sixers in his first game as a net, and they lost on that buzzer beater because Dinwiddie had the ball in his hand too long. Um, but I think Mikel Bridges like tweeted out something, and Joe Sy quote tweeted him and said like, "We'll get him next time." Brooklyn loves this team or something. Or he said like, "Brighter days are ahead." Brooklyn loves this team, and I feel like ever since Joe Sy said that, this team has been awful. Swept in the playoffs, um, 17 and 25 record this year. It's just ugly. You know, I just hate watching this. Like, it's such a boring basketball team that feels directionless. And the part that bothers me is it all could have been avoided. All you had to do was give Irving the guaranteed contract he wanted, and we could have had, you know, two Hall of Fame level players here and, and hopefully fielded a good team around them. But, you know, part of it that makes it even worse is Ben Simmons, like that whole trade as well. Like Ben Simmons not playing. Like if Ben Simmons was playing like Sixers Ben Simmons this entire time, the past two and a half years, like there would probably be less to complain about. But getting Ben Simmons and only having him play like, I forget what the number is, but Ben Simmons has only played like a quarter of his games that he's been able to play since the start of the 2021-22 season when he started out that year on the Sixers and didn't play at all. So that's the frustrating part is that, like, I feel like if Ben Simmons was healthy, this team would probably look way different right now. But 
He's just not. And I feel like that version of Ben Simmons is never going to come back. So it's in the past. And speaking of him, like, he could be back soon, apparently. Like, they keep talking him up like he's going to come back soon. And hopefully he does. But at this point, I have no idea. Like, I don't know when he's going to come back. If something came out tomorrow that he shut down for the rest of the year, I would not be surprised. Like, nothing about Ben Simmons will surprise me at this point. But there's also a chance that he's back by next week. So I, I have no idea what to think. But hopefully he's back soon. This team obviously misses him and needs him. But um, but yeah, I just I cannot stand Joe Sy. Just do not like the guy. Um, he chose to make a personal decision over a winning decision, and and here we are. So, and like even when the Nets had all those problems last year with Durant missing time and and the Kyrie with the Amazon link, like the Nets were still a good team. Like they were second in the East when KD got hurt, and then I think when the first trade request was made by Kyrie, they were probably in like the third or fourth seed. Like they were still a good team. And now we're sitting here, not even in the freaking play-in. Like it's just, we're in the 11th seed. So that's the frustrating part is like, yeah, you can move off of those guys that you can move off of Harden and Durant and Irving, but they didn't even get one superstar in return for any of those guys. Like that's the frustrating part. And like, was Ben Simmons ever a superstar? I mean, Maybe like borderline, but I, I don't think so. He was probably more of just an all-star player. I think superstar and all-star is a different thing. Like superstar is like your top 10 in the league type stuff, you know? But I don't know. I, it's just frustrating. And, and and the crazy part is is that Sean Marks still has a job. Like I don't know how you go through all this. The Nets have been swept like three times in the past five years. And, um, you know, they've never made it past the second round. They traded like seven first round picks for James Harden and he only lasted here for 13 months and like all that stuff happened and he's still he's still the general manager, which is crazy. Like I I liked Sean Marks for the most part. He's done plenty of good things here, but I just feel like sometimes it's just time to turn a page. You know, it's just sometimes like you're tired of hearing the same voice and the same vision. Like I would just like to see something fresh and you know, not just his personnel moves, but the coaches he's hired the past two times have been horrible. Like hiring Steve Nash, a first time head coach when you had a championship level team that um, I'm sure when Steve Nash was hired that the Nets had an idea of like, hey, we might be able to trade for a third star. So like the Nets probably knew that that team was going to have like a championship type window. And yet they still gave the job to a first year head coach and Steve Nash. So that was horrible. And Steve Nash, was a, he was a bad coach. Like, he just was. He had a great staff in the first year with, you know, Dan Tony and Ime Udoka on it. But um, to give that team to a first-year head coach was never a good idea. But Steve Nash was just not good. He got fired, like, six games into last year. And, you know, the coach he replaced him with, which is a guy who's been here forever, I think Jacques Vaughn was the first assistant hired by Kenny Atkinson and Kenny Atkinson has been here or he was here in like 2016. So Jock Vaughn's been here for almost a freaking decade. And there was the rumor that the Nets tried to hire Yudoka last year. I think the truth is that the NBA stepped in front of them and said, you can't hire him in season. Like I think the NBA did not allow it. So I know people blame Kyrie and, and stuff, but I, I think the NBA just did not want to have Yudoka hired during the season last year. But what the Nets could have done was just waited out the year. Like, the Nets gave Jacques Vaughn two extensions last year. They didn't have to do that. They could have just wrote out the year and saw how it ended. And obviously, it ended with a sweep to Philly. And they could have tried in the offseason to get Udoka. 
But then again, would Yudoka come here knowing that Kevin was in Phoenix and Kyrie was in Dallas? That, that's another thing. I don't know. But just so many what ifs and frustrating things about this organization that should not have happened or should have happened. And, and, and it's just, it seems like everything they do just goes the wrong way. So it's very annoying. And, and, and I miss watching fun basketball. Um, I miss getting my hopes up about possibly competing for a championship. And although they fell short every freaking year, um, it was still nice to know like, Hey, if things break right, like we, we have a chance, like this team can go places. And now there's none of that. And there's no, there's nothing in the foreseeable future that makes me feel good about this Nets team. I mentioned those Phoenix picks. It's like next year, the year after, the year after that, and maybe one other. So we're talking about draft picks in like four or five years from now that like may make an impact. We don't even know what's going to happen. Obviously, if the Suns implode and Booker ask out and, and Durant keeps getting hurt or something, or, and, and Bradley Beal keeps getting hurt, like something like that. Like, obviously, that's one way to get your franchise back on top, but we're talking about something that's, like, seven years away at this point. So, you know, it's just it's it's annoying. I just wished uh, there was better management here, but once again, you can't fire the owner. He has to sell the team, and I see it all the time. There's plenty of people on Twitter that, you know, at Joe Sy and tell him to sell the team, but he probably ain't going to do it. And it's 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 more frustrating knowing that he probably cares more about his lacrosse teams and and the uh, the New York Liberty. Like I, I feel like the Nets are like the Nets are probably like the last thing that Joe Sy cares about. It just it's crazy. So I don't know. I know he was at the game today, but I think that's because he lives in like that area. Like he's in San Diego or something, isn't he? I'm pretty sure he has like a house there or whatever. He might live there. I don't know, but um, obviously pretty close for uh, you know for him to go there to Los Angeles. So maybe that's why. But anyway, um, the entire direction of this team is is frustrating, and I'm trying to see when the trade deadline is. Let's see when the trade deadline is. Um, it's got to be coming up somewhat soon, February 8th. So we're like three weeks away. Or so, no, two weeks, two weeks, three weeks, whatever. So we're getting there. Um, is that yeah, February eighth? Yeah, that's it. So we're getting there in a couple of weeks. Um, they got to do something. Like I, I would much rather see them like make moves to not compete now because that just does not make sense to me. Like, like the Dejounte Murray thing, it's been thrown out there, and of course Murray's playing out of his mind lately, and it's going to drive up the trade asking price, but. If I'm the Nets, I'm not trying to acquire anybody like over the age of like 25. Like I'm trying to like get young guys that are not playing that much on like these win now teams. And, you know, whether that's like a Jalen Hood, Shafino or uh, whoever, like a Jordan Hawkins, maybe. Um, I don't know if those guys are available, but at least check, like just try and get these young guys that, you know, with playing time and with experience and, and good coaching, which hopefully we have one day that those guys could turn into something. So that's what I'd be looking for. I don't I don't want to trade for DeJounte Murray. Like, I just don't know where that gets you. Um, I'm sure the Nets have a vision. I talked about this before of, of having Mikael Bridges and DeJounte Murray and Donovan Mitchell on the same team. That's probably what they want to do. But if your entire plans hinder on Donovan Mitchell becoming available, who says Donovan Mitchell wants to be a Net? And who says he would sign an extension here? Like, he's always wanted to play in New York, but mostly for the Knicks, I believe. So if the Nets are still not that good of a team, like, who says that Donovan Mitchell even wants to come here? So to me, that's kind of crazy. But, hey, that could be their plan, and we'll see if they do it. But, um, 
yeah, overall, it's 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 just I, I don't know. There's nothing to look forward to. So, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, we have some clarification about where this team is heading and what the direction is. And before I sign off, I'll take a look at the uh, upcoming schedule. Hopefully, it's not that hard, but I don't know. I mean, there's so many L's, man. Ever since that Phoenix game, there are so many L's on this schedule. It is disgusting. From 13 and 10 to 17 and 25, they play the Knicks on Tuesday which is a nationally televised game. So that's going to be a rough one, probably. Thursday versus Minnesota. They're going to beat us, probably. We are home for that game, which is nice. There's a nice, you know, stretch of home games. There's, I think there's four or five home games in a row. Five home games in a row. So it's Knicks, Timberwolves, Rockets, Jazz, Phoenix Suns. So, yeah. Might be a bit tough there at the end with Phoenix, and you have New York and Minnesota. Houston and Utah are winnable games but those i feel like those teams are playing well lately so definitely not easy the nets can obviously go zero and five it would not shock me um after that it's at philly home versus golden state home versus dallas Kyrie's return home versus cleveland home versus san antonio then you have a back-to-back versus boston so there's not many uh easy games coming up i would say the most winnable ones are i you know once again i think houston and utah are toss-up games at, at best for us um, Golden State has not been that great this year. Cleveland's been hot. San Antonio, they can probably beat, but then again, they have their nights where they look great. So I don't know. I have no idea, but I feel like this team might not even win 30 games. I said this a couple uh, podcasts ago, but yeah, this, this schedule is not looking that easy. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like the, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say this cause I'll sound like a bad fan, but if the season goes off the rails and like it leads to Jacques Vaughn getting fired and actually like Sean Marks getting fired and like the necessary changes happen that should happen, then like fine. They can lose games. I don't really care. So whatever happens, happens. If they win, cool. If not, then it's probably best for us in the long term. That's how I look at it. So um, it's kind of like me with the Giants. I, I root against them in the um, in the latter half of most seasons because they're like usually like two and six or one and five, and there's no shot at the playoffs. So um, I hope for a better draft pick. But um, speaking of football, there was good games on today. So at least with uh, the Nets shitting the bed in the fourth quarter, there was still some fun football to watch. So we had that going for us. But for the Nets, it was an embarrassing fourth quarter um, meltdown, as I wanted to say. So yeah, just a shame. So anyway, hope you guys enjoyed the video. I'll probably talk to you guys. I'll try and go for after that Houston game on Saturday. So, you know, six days from now. Six o'clock game. That's a weird start time. So a six o'clock game against Houston. I'll try and make a podcast after that. If not, I'll probably make one after the Utah. Maybe I'll just wait till Phoenix or something. I don't know. But maybe Saturday. We'll see what happens. But I hope you guys enjoyed. Of course, leave a like and all that. And I'll talk to you guys next time.